Morning, Glory America. It's Hugh Hewitt on the Hillsdale Dialogue. Every week at this time, I talk with a member of the Hillsdale team, whether it's Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, or Matt Spaulding. Dr. Spaulding runs the Kirby Center in the shadow of the Capitol, and Dr. Spaulding joins me this morning. But I'm seriously freaked out, uh, Matt. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Uh, well, I was fine until I just saw a picture from the opening ceremonies in uh, South Korea of the Olympics. They uh, got 1,200 drones up in the sky to simulate a snowboarder about the size of the uh, uh, you know, 600 <laughs> feet tall. And if people go to my Twitter, you know, it's like the attack of the drones. They have a snowboarding drone machine, 1,200 drones choreographed. I've never seen anything like this. It's, you know, they're coming for us soon. Well, they're, they're this, <laughs> we'll see what happens tonight. This is going to be quite interesting when they have their, what, thousand North Korean uh, uh, music musicians there or something, I understand. Well, the opening ceremony is underway right now, and I'm, I'm watching it live via some feeds, and I just got to say, it's, it's freaking me out, these drones. Uh, Matt Spaulding, we are talking about two hours after the House of Representatives uh, passed the Senate version of a sequester-busting, defense-appropriating bill that's got some deficit hawks upset. What's your assessment of what happened? Well, I, I was trying to think, think about that. I, I would say there's, uh, I come down to it, this is the Compromise of 1850, right? There are, I mean, step back and look about it in the, in the, in the bigger sense. There's some good things here. Uh, the defense is, uh, is, is the biggest great thing. Uh, the domestic spending is mostly for genuine priorities, from what I can tell. It's not without objectionable defense or it's disaster relief, uh, opioid addiction. Uh, it gets rid of some nifty things. IPAB. Remember the remember IPAB? It's yep. gone. It's gone. Um, Would like you explain that. to people what that is? And Because Obamacare is being taken apart piece by piece. The mandate yeah, was the, taken the, out by the cotton. Right. So the, 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 the mandate was taken out. This is the other key piece that was was at the heart of it, which was something called the Independent Payment Advisory Board in Medicare, and it would basically decide on whether people would get medical treatment. This was the the, the famous death panel. Yep. Um, and those kinds of things, right? So you're going to and take them out one by one, rather than one sweeping bill, which from a practical point of view is just not possible. This is a good thing, um, and so that's gone. And then the other thing that's happened here kind of in the, in the wings is that the Democratic fo- Party folded again on using DACA as leverage. Uh, that'll yeah. be put off. I think that'll be settled later. But that wasn't in here. Um, and it avoided, it, it avoided a shutdown. That's all good. The flip yeah. side is, it, 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 is there's, a big, there's a spending problem, but it's been pushed down the road. You get tax extensions in there. Um, I think they're going to... We should come back and talk about, I think, what this does is this means there's going to be no big legislative budget in the future, not another reconciliation package. They don't get another bite at this. Um, But it puts that off, so now you're set up for 2018. But the big thing here, I think, is that it's a a deal that both sides get some things in. You buy some time. That's why I say the compromise of 1850. You buy some time. The big questions aren't solved, but... Politically, I think this is actually quite good for the Republicans, and it's excellent for Trump. Uh, that, that Let's spend a moment on that. Earlier today, I pointed out, in his first year, and we are basically now in the first year, the conclusion of first year, 
Donald Trump delivered on the promise to allow the military to destroy ISIS in Iraq and Syria, Justice Gorsuch, many other originalist judges, the tax cut, many tax reform, the repeal of Obamacare's mandate, many of its taxes and other features like IPAB, massive defense buildup, Paris record and regulatory rollback, a lot of great appointees and, and a lot of noise. And for a Victorian Republican like me, discomfort at his tactics. But he and he's going to get the wall when we do the DACA deal in the next six weeks, which is going to happen. That's right. He's going to get the wall. And I I think even with this two year budget deal, I think it's highly likely they'll get another infrastructure bill later in the year. Um, And then there's some things brewing on trade. It might not occur to the legislature, but he's doing that, too. This is a guy who, despite all the objections to him, as you say, uh, people don't like this or that. He's actually doing what he ran on, and he, he didn't run as a fiscal conservative in that sense. Um, I think the House will, will push back. The Congress will push back against that at some point. The problem right now, I think, is the Senate. House has done its job. Uh, but if you play this out over time, uh, I, I think what we're seeing is that uh, Trump is keeping his promises, but it's also a, a um, strategic ordering. Right. He wanted to start by going after the big things. He got his promises, but he's also going after uh, the, the regulatory state, who are his enemies, and he's also trying to undermine and divide the Democratic Party, his opposition. After now, he's done that, then the question is, where does he go next? Now, the New York Times is reporting at this hour that the president is angry with the chief of staff over the uh, Rob Porter fiasco. And it is a fiasco. There's no denying it. Uh, he should not have been in the White House. Uh, the FBI full field background investigation should have put and pushed to the top. Somebody dropped the ball here. Uh, nevertheless, uh, John Kelly's done brought a lot of order to the White House. But it is reported that the president called Reince Priebus to talk about bringing in Mick Mulvaney to be the chief of staff. You know, Mick Mulvaney gets every job nobody else wants to do, apparently. Uh, what do you think of that? Well, you know, I, I, I got to say, Mick Mulvaney is he, he is doing great. Um, I think he's probably where he ought to be. He right now is the sharp edge of the sword when it comes to getting control of the regulatory state and the budget. The, the, the executive order the president issued uh, about uh, trying going back and reviewing all of your departments that every department head has done. All of those go to Mulvaney at OMB. Um, you know, he's now at CFPB, which is a model. He's turning that into a model of how to deconstruct the state. Um, so I'm, I, I'm mixed. My, my initial reaction is I, I kind of like where he is right now. He's very talented. Um, I'd rather have him cutting budget and controlling things. He's, he's a numbers guy than in the middle of all that myself. Yeah, I, I personally, I, I don't know enough facts about Porter. I know he should be gone, and he is gone. But I am familiar enough from my time in the White House with the personnel file process that stuff does get overlooked when you're bringing in at the beginning of the administration about 300 people with full field and right, uh, right. background investigation. Well, so, so I, I, actually, I actually know uh, Rob. I've met him several times. He worked for Senator Hatch as his chief of staff. Uh, he seemed on the face to be a, a, a straight shooter. I mean, it was. I think. I think he misled a lot of people assuming this is true and he should have his ability to defend himself but this is just um amazingly unacceptable notion that he could be that close and that important in the white house and no one noticed this 
Yeah, and and there is a file somewhere with the ex-wives uh, t- uh, uh, talking with the FBI. They spoke it's, to the FBI, yeah. Uh, right. right. So there's a file. It's called the raw file, and, and you used to carry those around. Occasionally a senator would want to see a raw file, and you had to take the raw file up to the Senate and stay with the senator as they read through it because an unverified report is just that, unverified. But this is two reports with pictures and police reports. I do not know how this did not set off a red flag. And I don't know that I can blame John Kelly. That's not his job to know what's in the file. That is actually the White House counsel's job. These FBI uh, interviews occurred way back in February, long before Kelly's even in the picture. Well, I, I'm going to talk to Reince Priebus on MSNBC tomorrow. My guess is Reince was never told either. It's a, it is a job typically of an associate White House counsel or an assistant counsel to read and flag the full field background investigations for senior staff. And so I am guessing, it's just a guess from my time in the White House, that someone of my age when I was in the White House did not think that was an issue. And that person made a huge mistake. Well, I'm sure we could. If, if we had a good Hillsdale College graduate, they don't have character problems. So we could we could fill that. Uh, there you go. There you go. When, <laughs> when we come back from break, I, nevertheless, I, I don't I don't know that firing John Kelly is a very good idea. I think he's done a fine job and of bringing order to the job. White House. I, I, yeah, yeah. This is and and, I, and and but but Peter Baker, who is reporting this, that uh, the president is floating um, Mick Mulvaney as chief of staff uh, is. Yeah, Peter and Maggie have good sources at the White House. They're typically named Trump. Uh, and I don't, after you've had a series of big wins, I don't know that you want to step on your story, uh, Matt Spaulding. Uh, no, no, that's that's right. And also floating these things is very different from, you know, actually doing something. I think he needs to show some sort of venting with this problem and, and, and solve it. You can't have these things be things popping up. The timing of this popping up right now of all time not exactly helpful, uh, given no. this White House in particular and what's going on right now. They're, they're on a roll, and they can't stop that. They, they can't stop that. They're about to get off track. As James Homan said yesterday, the president keeps breaking into prison. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wish he wouldn't do that. I'll be right back with Matt Spaulding of the Kirby Center. All things Hillsdale are at hillsdale.edu. Go and sign up today for Imprimus. All of my conversations with Matt, Dr. Larry Arn, others from the faculty and staff of Hillsdale are collected at q4hillsdale.com. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. The opening ceremonies of the Olympics are over, but you've got to watch them tonight because they're just spectacular and wild, so they'll be on NBC tonight. I'll be on MSNBC tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with Reince Priebus, former chief of staff of the White House, and an extended interview about his time in the White House and as chairman of the RNC. Do not miss that tomorrow morning at 8 on MSNBC as you start your weekend. And uh, I'm joined by Matt Spaulding. Dr. Matt Spaulding is the uh, chief of staff at the Kirby Center. He runs the Kirby Center, which is Hillsdale College's Lantern of Reason Lighthouse of Good Thinking in the Shadow of the Capitol. You can follow uh, everything about the Kirby Center at Kirby Center on Twitter. Everything Hillsdale is at hillsdale.edu. And all of my conversations with Dr. Spaulding, Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale, other members of the staff and faculty from 2013 forward are collected at hughforhillsdale.com. Dr. Spaulding, this goes to a a key issue. Rand Paul gummed up the Senate last night, and he made these remarks, which I would like to play for the audience so that you can then comment on them. Cut number two. No one has read the bill. No one can thoroughly digest a a 700 that had already recklessly let spending get out of control. 
The bill is nearly 700 pages. It was given to us at midnight last night, and I would venture to say no one has read the bill. No one can thoroughly digest a 700-page bill overnight, and I do think that it does things that we really, really ought to talk about and how we should pay for them. One of the things this bill does is it's going to add $500 billion in spending over a two-year period. This bill increases spending 21%. Does that sound like a large amount? Anybody at home getting a bonus or an increase in your paycheck of 21%? And yet your government's going to spend 21% more without really having a full debate, without having amendments. The exchange you just watched was me asking to have a 15-minute vote. I've been asking all day. I've been asking all week for it. We could have literally had dozens of votes today, but we squabble because people don't want to be put on the spot. So the reason I'm here tonight is to put people on the spot. I want people to feel uncomfortable. I want them to have to answer people at home who said, how come you were against President Obama's deficits, and then how come you're for Republican deficits? Isn't that the very definition of intellectual dishonesty? If you were against President Obama's deficits and now you're for the Republican deficits, isn't that the very definition of hypocrisy? All right, People- now, uh, uh, let me, uh, Matt Spaulding, it's not, actually. The definition of hypocrisy, in my no. view, is knowing the rules of the Senate and then pretending like they don't apply. What do you think of that? No, I, 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 intellectual dishonesty is, is going on as if uh, there's something real happening when it's actually not. I mean, I mean... So, so on the one hand, a lot of the particulars that Rand Paul is pointing out, I mean, this is a, you know, a, a big piece of legislation. There are a few things in it which uh, are a little squirrely. It happened at midnight. It is a large amount of spending. All of that is true. This is why I referred earlier to the Compromise of 1850. There are it's, – it's not perfect. But this is but, but, but what prudence dictates in these situations, the one way what must think, the way politics ought to think, is not to raise the hypocrisy question as if uh, there's a real uh, deliberative matter going on in the Senate. I mean, you're right. The Senate rules is what has brought us to this situation uh, in which there isn't that kind of deliberation possible because of the filibuster rule. Uh, and as a result, they have to do it this way. They couldn't open it up for amendment. If they open it up for amendment for Rand Paul, who knows what would have happened? Um, and and, and, and talk as if that's, that was what was actually going on and trying to take the high ground. It's, it's, it's a certain unrecognition of, of political reality, which unfortunately, I mean, because he's, he's good on so many things, unfortunately, I think he just does not uh, see that. Didn't use the moment. We should have used the moment to explain we have to do this because of these rules. We should have used this opening to complain about those rules. That, that's it. The hypocrisy is on Senator Paul, because when you accuse the body of which you were a member and to whose rules are available to you, and everybody knows it takes 60 votes. We cannot address entitlements until the Republicans get closer to 60 in the Senate, because right. that requires legislation. So the answer is not to give self-serving, attention-seeking uh, displays of ego, but it's to go out and get Republicans elected in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, in Florida, in Wisconsin, in North Dakota, and in every in Montana, Janjanura, everywhere across this country. That's the answer. Stay tuned, America. I'll be right back with Matt Spaulding from the Kirby Center on the Hillsdale Dialogue.
Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt here with the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are collected at hillsdale.edu, including an amazing course on Churchill, which you should be watching as we get close to the Oscars and hopefully Gary Oldman's uh, Best Actor uh, Oscar for his performance of Winston Churchill in The Darkest Hour. I'm joined this week by Dr. Matthew Spaulding, the leader of the Kirby Center, which is the Hillsdale outpost in the uh, shade of the Capitol, uh, to which many people, many members of Congress, prepare to reinvigorate and to study and to think and to just generally have a great time and a cigar on the patio occasionally. Uh, Dr. Spaulding, I want to play for you um, a video. You can't see the video, but you'll get the gist of the audio uh, released by House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy on all of the controversy surrounding the FISA warrant on Carter Page. Here is that House GOP audio. You have a right to know what happened with this FISA process and whether reforms are warranted. The American citizens that are represented before this court uh, have to be protected. And the only place that can protect them is the U.S. Congress. It has been the talk of Washington for weeks, and today Republicans released a memo. The memo reveals partisan bias at the Justice Department. Grassley and Graham confirmed the information and went farther, revealing that information was passed from British spy Christopher Steele through an intermediary close to the Clintons and then to the State Department. The Republican memo fairly raises questions about why certain facts were never disclosed to the FISA court. Political dirt was used by the FBI, and they knew it was political dirt, to open a counterintelligence investigation into the other campaign. This dossier was paid for by the Democrat National Committee and Hillary Clinton. They hired a political opposition research firm who hired Christopher Steele, who wrote it. See how easy and straightforward that is? It tells you the source with clarity and specificity. Now contrast that with the way it was presented to the court. For reasons the Democrats can never explain, the FISA application went to great lengths to avoid identifying a material point about the financial source behind the dossier. Neither the initial FISA application in October 2016, nor any of the renewals, disclose or reference the role of the DNC, Clinton campaign, or any party campaign in funding Steele's efforts. The Democrats claim Chris Steele was a reliable source, but he wound up being dismissed as a source by the FBI for two different reasons. And in addition to that, Steele's reliability isn't the seminal issue. He didn't know the facts firsthand. He repeated what sources in Russia were telling him. So for that matter, a parrot could have been the source. If all you're going to do is repeat back what nameless, faceless people in another country are telling you, your experience and expertise aren't nearly as important as the reliability of the people you're listening to. The DOJ and FBI had four opportunities to disclose these facts in the original FISA application and in each of the three subsequent renewal applications over nearly a year-long period, but never did. Now the Democrats on the Intelligence Committee who opposed the release of our Republican memo have since prepared their own counter memo. Every single Republican on the House Intelligence Committee voted to release the Democrat memo. Every single one. On the other hand, not a single solitary Democrat voted to release the Republican memo. Not a single one. The lead Democrat most responsible for the drafting of the Democrat memo is Representative Adam Schiff. Representative Schiff didn't have much interest in finding out how much of the dossier was used, whether it was vetted before it was used, whether it was vetted, for that matter, after it was used, or who paid for it. Keep in mind, they went to court to keep you from finding out who paid for the dossier. The American people will learn that the Democrats' memo attacks Republicans for questioning the integrity of DOJ lawyers like Bruce Orr and FBI agents. 
like Peter Strzok, who have been either demoted or removed. The Democrats' memo also defends the integrity of Christopher Steele as a reliable and credible source, even though the FBI and Department of Justice terminated him. In September 2016, Christopher Steele admitted to Justice Department official Bruce Orr his feelings against then-candidate Trump when Steele said he, quote, was desperate that Donald Trump not get elected and was passionate about him not being president. After all, we only have a FISA because you consented to it. And with that consent comes the obligation of those entrusted with power to exercise that power judiciously and to answer legitimate questions when you have them. And asking questions of those in positions of power used to be something we could all agree on. Uh, So, Matt Spaulding, that was a compilation of uh, people talking about the memo released by GOP House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy yesterday. What is your comment on it and on the underlying memo that prompted it? Well, well, first of all, Hugh, I, that, that haunting music in the background was actually pretty powerful. I thought. Yep. I, I could hear Trey. I could hear Gowdy there. I couldn't see him, but I, Trey Gowdy and Nunes. I mean, those guys are doing an amazing thing. Look, the, the, the big, the way I see it, the big question here is: we have two big stories going on, and they're changing positions, right? I mean, the the so-called Russian collusion story is collapsing. There's there's nothing there. Um, and this other story is just taking on a life of its own because, as in true uh, legal fashion, it, 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 you know, this is just kind of dribbling out in these massive uh, amounts of information, and these storylines are coming together. Uh, and it turns out that that's the, real, that's the real scandal here is what has been going on, and it's been going on for some time into the, into the previous administration, and all the parts are coming together. And so that memo came out, which has been completely buried, but it seems to me to pull together a lot of things that a lot of people have been worrying about and thinking about for a long time, which is it sounds like, uh, and it sounds like we, they've, they've now got the information to show this, uh, that the FBI, which is supposed to be nonpartisan and nonpolitical, uh, was using information originally obtained from uh, paid for by the uh, the opposition party, uh, opposition research, a questionable source. Uh, they use that to obtain a warrant through a FISA court, which is going to turn out uh, led to unmasking of political opposition. If the FBI played that role, and uh, it turns out that information ends up either was directed by or ends up in the White House against political enemies. Uh, this is a, a, a true uh, a crisis, uh, much larger in its way than, than Watergate ever was in terms of a one political party using its power, in this case um, uh, perhaps uh, focused in, in the, the, a, a small number of individuals in the FBI, but that, that information starts waving up into the political debate at, at the highest reaches that's uh, really scandalous to be using that against political opposition. That's uh, that, that's what's undermining American elections, not Russian interference. Well, I I, I want to make sure I, that we understand. We believe Russia attacked the election. They did do the Facebook ads, the Twitter. They broke into Podesta's email. They sure broke they into did. DNC. They did all that. Right. But we're focused on that. the second Russia problem. And I want to read to you an email I received last night from a longtime, now retired assistant United States attorney, member of the Department of Justice, who wrote, David Lofman resignation is a big deal. 
as Deputy Assistant Attorney General for National Security Division, Lofman was the primary supervisor over the counterintelligence work in the National Security Division. He would have had a hand in the approval of the FISA application on Carter Page. He likely had a role in the decision-making on the Clinton email investigation since his section handled cases involving leaks of classified information. The decisions in that investigation on granting immunity and allowing conditions to be attached to the examination of computers would have come from his office. I do not think those conditions were what the FBI would have wanted. On the immunity issue, FBI wouldn't have the authority. That could only come from the prosecutors in the National Security Division. The press is reporting that he offered his resignation yesterday, uh, Thursday, effective immediately. That's what happens when you are told that you are the subject of an OPR, Office of Professional Responsibility, or OIG, Office of Inspector General, investigation. He was in the post since 2014 under Carlin, Yates, and Lynch in the chain of command. Now, uh, Matt Spaulding, my source is very, very good, very, very expressive. No, he isn't perfect, but that does seem to be consistent with the with the removal of Bruce Orr and Peter Strzok. It looks like right. we had sepsis and the counterintelligence division and the national security division, counterintelligence, FBI, national security division at DOJ. And we do not yet know if all of these are spokes on a hub that go back to, as many people suspect, Ben Rhodes. But we can believe, we can suspect that, right? Sure, we can suspect it very easily. Uh, and, and that's why I meant by all the pieces are falling in place. Now, there's an IG report coming soon, I understand. And my guess is this resignation was prompted by that as that plays itself out. Um, so uh, th- these pieces are all, all uh, clearly falling into place. Um, and how far this goes is, is, is the question. But, I mean, at the very least, it seems pretty clear that there's some small number, I don't know what it is, but, you know, of, of, of all the thousands of great people working at the FBI, there's a small number uh, who are very politically engaged. Um, and, and that has to be uh, completely expunged. That's a cancer in that organization that needs to be completely destroyed. And, and this resignation is... Saving it. Yeah, this resignation is not the Bureau. It's the National Security Division at Justice. So it's a lawyer, not an investigator, although there are often lawyers working at the Bureau. This is a DOJ problem. And the corruption, I believe, extends into DOJ, but it's a very small group. There are 35,000 people working for the FBI. I think this is 10 to 20 people at DOJ and the Bureau, Max. Uh, by the way, the President of the United States has tweeted. <laughs> Just signed bill, writes the president. Our military will now be stronger than ever before. We love and need our military and gave them everything and more. First time this has happened in a long time. Also means jobs, jobs, jobs in caps. Uh, Matt Spaulding, that's the president's latest tweet. What do you think? Well, he's right. I mean, look, his his numbers uh, have gone up. What is he, almost uh, approaching 50%. This is this and the economy, even though there's some, uh, the, the market is making some adjustments, uh, this extension for two years, he's in a pretty, pretty uh, strong spot. I think looking, uh, looking forward, he's meeting his goals and his and his objectives. Uh, going into eighteen, I think the, you know from a month or so ago, things look a lot different for Republicans. Uh, they certainly did. Now I, I am saying. There, you know, elections actually don't get decided until the six weeks before the voting begins. And very bad things happen in off years to incumbent. I am not confident. I'm just a lot more confident today than I was 
three months ago. No, that's right. And so, but one thing, so one thing this, this budget deal does, right? So they've, uh, they've got a two year budget, uh, which, which means they're not going to have another reconciliation next year. You're not going to shut down before the elections. Uh, that also probably means you've quieted your opposition, uh, who won't have that leverage against you. So the Republicans have, have, uh, at least politically dampened a lot of things down. They can control things a little bit more. Uh, going ahead, so I think they're in a in a in a safe zone. A lot can happen. A lot will happen. Uh, but I, I think the the momentum in the other direction that was seemed to be taking off a while ago uh, has been has been stopped. Has, has been has arrived. I'll be right back with Matt Spaulding from the Kirby Center, Hillsdale College, Hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. I use that because the president of the United States tweeted again as I talk with Matt Spaulding of the Kirby Center, Hillsdale College's outpost in Washington, D.C. The president three minutes ago tweeting, without more Republicans in Congress, we were forced to increase spending on things we do not like or want in order to finally, after many years of depletion, take care of our military. Sadly, we needed some Dem votes for passage, must elect more Republicans in 2018 election. Matt Spaulding, that's exactly correct. That's exactly correct, and he says it directly, and that's exactly what uh, he should be doing. Look, I mean, this is what, uh, if you think about political realignments and reshaping political parties, this is what great presidents do. This is what Franklin Roosevelt did, right? You go out, you push your agenda, and you get people in Congress to support your agenda, and you go out and you get more of them. Um, and if he does that, he goes to 2018 like that. I think we're in this, this two-year deal sets aside a lot of those things. You can now focus on that. He can go out with his agenda, what he's working on, a uh, few things he's got to do, his record. I think we see now all, with this deal, all the cards are on the table. We're going to play the, the 2018 election with what is on the table. And right now, all the things being equal, with other things won't may happen. The Republican cards look pretty good. Uh, this is this is exactly what I think they need to do for the next seven, eight months, which is to list the accomplishments, the defeat of ISIS, the tax cut, the tax reform, the piecemeal repeal of Obamacare, the regulatory rollback, the exit from Paris, uh, the the upping of the defense budget, the repeal of sequestration, and just say it again and again and again. And if you want to tackle the underlying big problem of entitlement, we need more Republicans. Right. That, that's more. That we, we need more Republicans in the Senate. It is very simple. The Democratic Party is a party of the left. They believe in single-payer socialism and massive deficits and no defense. The Republican Party is a party of the center-right, and it believes in the opposite of that. And that, that's a pretty basic appeal. Do you think he can carry through on that, Matt Spaulding? Because he likes the noise. He does like the noise, and that's always going to be a temptation. But I think things are getting better, and if he plays this out, uh, consistently working with Congress as a unified message, I think he's in, in, in a very powerful, powerful spot. And I think he likes to win. I think Congress likes to win. And the American people like to win. Um, and I think that they keep this momentum going, which this deal did, despite things in it that push off uh, the need to address spending, for instance. Um, it, you know, that's what this deal did. They'll continue with that, and I think he'll get the momentum. He'll like that. Um, and that's that's good for the kind of politics he wants to play. Now, I, I want to go to the military parade. Um, I actually, if they ran this on the 4th of July and they raised money for the Semper Fi Fund and Fisher House and they allowed the American people to thank the men in uniform and the women in uniform, 
I would be all in favor of this. But the left is attacking it because they seem to think uh, Trump wants a Soviet-style stand on the top of the presidium and look at rockets. I don't get that at all. It really does reveal... Uh, a pretty fundamental division in the country when some people don't want to honor the military with a parade. I, I think, once again, it, it proves that uh, Donald Trump has got a very good ear for political opinion. Uh, it, it was a brilliant move, because whether it happens or not, it's positioned things very nicely, because it drew out all the critics who immediately started going after it because they think this is a sign of him wanting to be a despot. And it allows him to say, what's wrong with a good patriotic show uh, of our military to honor them and we can do it i mean the the, the anniversary of world war one is coming up we could pick a, an appropriate occasion um instead he could say let's not do it in washington let's do 50 of them in every state right uh, that, that's a great idea. into a bigger thing uh and and i'll go to him invite me i'll come right uh, and and, and by the way brilliant. I think most Americans would love to come and applaud the military. I mean, because every time I run the Semper Fi Fund, we raise tens of thousands of dollars every time I do that because people want to say thank you. They don't have the occasion to do so. And if it's run the right way, and I think he would run it the right way, but everyone instantly jumped to the idea that he's a despot. You use the right term. And I just think that is such a reflexive, bizarre reaction by the Beltway media elite. And it it draws them out. He does best when he puts something out there and they essentially you know, slit their own necks. I, I, I've, I've got to tell you, the, uh, the, the wild week that we are finishing, Matt Spaulding, with the memo, the counter memo, the revelation of that basically, as Speaker Ryan said in this program yesterday, Hillary Clinton paid Russians for information she fed to the FBI in order to obtain warrants on former Trump volunteers. That's this week combined with the spending bill. I don't know how anyone says Donald Trump didn't have a great week. No, he he had a great week, but also I think looking back now, this is a monumental presidency. It already is. And where this is going, any critics of his, uh, any critics of of, uh, who who are nervous about this, who still don't like certain aspects of him, uh, should should see where this is going and potentially where this could lead to uh, in these elections and beyond. This is he's made some massive and monumental changes in our politics. I'm a Victorian Republican. I would like him to tone it down, but I cannot argue with the results. The results are there, and my gosh, if Hillary Clinton had been president, wow. Matt Spaulding, great to talk to you.